We're going to invite you to Romans 6, where we will read one verse of Scripture for a text today, and it will be the last verse of that chapter, and we trust probably a very familiar verse unto you. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The beginning of the verse mentions something that is a very uncomfortable subject to so many, death. And we cannot talk about the good things at the latter part of the verse without talking about death. So I would ask you a personal question right off as I mentioned that. What reaction did you feel when I mentioned death? That's worthy of our analysis because it will reveal where we are in life and before God. The very mention of the word death is something that immediately this old natural fleshly body takes a step back. It begins to set up defensive barriers because it doesn't want to die. But it is under a curse and it must die. And so there is that reaction that we would feel in the old man. And yet, as we mentioned in Sunday school, to those of us who believe in Christ and have hope in Him, we do not take a step backwards at the mention of death. We don't have to move at all. In fact, in some sense, the truly spiritual person that is ready can take a step forward and say, I'll embrace it here and now. I didn't say that to judge you or my spirituality, but I was just reflective of what the Apostle Paul said when he said, I have a desire to depart, to be with Christ, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. He said he had a desire. He didn't say he wanted to die, but he was saying, in order to get to where I want to be, <laughs> death is the door I got to go through, and so what? And again, isn't it wonderful that as God's people, we don't have to step back and shun it anymore, but we know that as Christ has conquered death, then again, it's only a step forward to eternity for the believer. The text says a very important fact that I fear is so much overlooked. And we want to deal with that and then deal with the contrast of it. But death is one of the most reality checks, I suppose, that there is to human beings, is there not? It is a fact, it is universal. Everybody knows about it. It's no mystery to no one. And yet, some of the greatest fears that exist, exist because of this subject of death. When we talk about death, we're talking about what Solomon described in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, where this body that you see, the dust must go back to the dust from which it came, but the Spirit back to God who gave it. So it takes us right back to the first man 
and God creating him and giving him life. And it's quite remarkable when you think about it again. Again, it has God's signature of this book to be able to do that. That out of the dust of the earth, God created man. But there he was, a lifeless body. The first human being started a creation of God out of the dust and was a lifeless body. And the last human being will end up the same way. A lifeless body. But God breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. And when God at was it 930 or 950? I get it mixed up sometimes. Uh, Adam lived. I think it's 950. At 950, God took that breath back. And that body he had created went right back to where it came from. And so is the story with all mankind. That's why Solomon said that. So that's what we're talking about in death because that's really what happens. The spirit, the soul, the life that God put in this physical body... God takes it back, and this body goes back to where it came from. And in death, of course, so many realities hit us, and we're reminded of it. Not things we didn't know, things we're just reminded of. Not things we have forgotten, but things perhaps we choose not to dwell upon or think about. And that is that, again, the bottom line is life in and of itself is a gift. It was a gift to Adam. It's a gift to every human being. God is the dispenser of life. God is the taker of life. As God, he has that right. So life itself is a gift. And when we stand at a funeral or we think about someone we love who's passed, again, it hits us right between the eyes, doesn't it? Man, it, it was a gift. It was a gift. And then the next thing probably is, yet it was so short. So very, very short. And indeed, life today on earth is very short, isn't it? And again, uh, the Bible describes it as a vapor. And how quickly it can come. Death doesn't send us a letter in advance and say, well, I'm coming next week or so forth and so on, does it? Doctors can make prognoses and we can think all we want about it, but only God himself knows our appointment with death. Of course, there's grief and sorrow with death, and as there should be. We are human beings. We are uh, creatures who have feelings, emotions, and things, and death seems to reach every emotion that we have. Sometimes it doesn't bring out the good, it brings out the bad, depending on the spiritual state of the individual. However, Solomon also said the day of death is better than the day of birth. That's another subject I don't have time to develop today, but again, that is a true statement if God said it through Solomon. But what we see many times with death is confusion. We see, and again, I don't say this condemningly, ignorance of great degrees manifested. And that grieves us. I say us as children of God because if you are a child of God, you know things about death that the unbelieving world does not know. And in knowing those truths from God's Word, you're spared much of the grief and sorrow and problems and confusion that comes along with death. Doesn't matter the subject, and especially concerning the subject of death, the Bible has all the answers. 
everything we need to know. To those who are confused, to those who struggle with it, to those who wonder, to those who have questions, this is the only place to go. It has the real answers from someone who's been there. The text says the wages of sin is death. Everybody's going to die, and usually when we hear of something die, the most common thing is, well, they died of this or that, this caused this problems. And the statement in our text is overlooked or neglected. And indeed it is true. The natural way people die is usually through some sickness or disease. That's just probably the majority of people will experience death, even us. Uh, we often say, and I say it casually, but we discuss it, Brenda and I have what have you, you know, in passing or to somebody else. Well, one day we're going to get sick with something and it's going to kill us. You know, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the way it goes the majority of people. And if it's cancer, if it's leukemia, if it's this, if it's that, I mean, they're still discovering naming diseases, aren't they? <laughs> but it really don't matter which one of them, quote-unquote, will get you in that regard. Then there's just natural death. I mean, you know, everything just wears out. Just one day it decides to quit working. It's not a big deal. It's not traumatic. It just declines and, you know, you know it just quits. You didn't have a heart attack. You didn't have this. You didn't have that. It just wore out and quit. Then there are accidents that surprise people, aren't they? No surprises to God because everybody's on that appointment date with death, but we call them accidents because we didn't plan on them. We didn't know they were going to happen. But in reality, they weren't accidents at all. It was all upon you. It is unfathomable to think how many deaths have been brought about by the wars of men since man has been in existence. And for what? I'm not saying wars shouldn't be, but I'm just saying if you study wars, most of them should have been avoided or prevented or what have you. I mean, they're the consequences of sin, aren't they? It's sad to think of that. And then we have people who lose their lives as victims of other people's acts. Victims of crime. Abel at the very beginning. Well, in all of these and whatever we discuss, the point I want to make to you is, in reality, these are not the primary causes. These are secondary causes of why people die. Because the text tells us the primary cause of death. The wages of sin is death. Now, these things all happen because of the presence of sin. Sin is the root cause of why we have death. And I hate that question unless somebody is asking it to really know, well, if there's God, why is there so much sorrow and suffering and death in the world? I'd be happy to answer that all day long if somebody really wants to know. But most people who ask that are not asking because they want to know, but because they want to accuse God or accuse God's people or accuse this book. So that is very sad. The answer's in the book. And as God's people, we're supposed to be ready to give people the answer. If they want to really know that, give it to them. 
Tell them why it's here. Take them to Genesis and tell them why death and suffering is here. It did not come through evolution. It came through the fall. Acts 17, Paul at Mars Hill said, God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon the earth and hath before determined the times and the bounds of their habitation. I mean, your address is no accident. And there's some addresses, no matter how much you want them, you're never going to have because you're never going to be there. But the time of your habitation has already been determined by God. And of course, as we often say, and as we gray, it's getting closer all the time, isn't it? Not such a bad thing at all to a child of God. But, again, all of these ways, or whatever may be put on your death certificate as the cause of death, is a secondary cause. Because if we wrote the cause on there from God's Word, it would be sin. Sin. You know, I think that's a great overlooked fact, don't you? When's the last time you heard anybody say that? I try to reference that sometimes at a funeral, especially, you know, when there's a corpse laying there. It's, it's, it's the most realistic thing you can say to people. It says, here we see the wages of sin. This is what sin brings, but the gift of God is eternal life. So all suffering and all death, all of that is here, all of that is present because of sin. The natural effect of sin is death. And we know that from the fall. We know the statement that God made, the law that God laid down to Adam and Eve, our first parents, when there was no such thing as sin. You can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, and the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They ate. That was sin the pronouncement of death came upon them. Shall surely, unavoidable. This is clearly described one chapter back in our Bibles in a familiar text, Romans 5.12, which states that, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and this is at the very beginning, of course, and it sums it up, and death by sin. So no sin, no death. But sin, there is death. So death, passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And according to the Bible, there have been only two individuals, two human beings that have been spared the experience of death, Enoch and Elijah. Don't ask me why. Nobody knows why. It pleased God. And it also tells us God can do what He wants to. I mean, He could have done that. You know? Amazing. However, just get this, the natural effect of sin is death. And it's not just human beings. All things. You see a roadkill on the side of the road. Yeah, a car hit it. But why did it have to die in the first place? Why is there even death in existence, you know? Because of sin. Because of sin. The text says the wages of sin. Very descriptive there, isn't it? Let's think on that for just a moment before we press on. What is a wage? Well, if you have any age to you at all and you've ever worked at all, you know what a wage is. 
wage. Webster would define that as something given in return, inferring that it is merited, it has been worked for, it has been deserved or promised or something in that regard. But wages come in return. And of course, the employment, the working that we do and the jobs we have, you labor, you receive wages in return for your labor. And we would emphasize today, not in proportion to, but if that were the case, a lot of people would be in trouble, wouldn't they? So it's not in proportion, but in return for what you have contracted to do. So the bottom line is, it is earned. Earned. You know that, don't you? I mean, how would you feel if it come payday, your employer said, well, we're just not going to pay you today. And your, probably your first statement would be something, well, I've earned that. I deserve that. You know? I put in 40 hours for that. It's mine. You owe me. Well, that's all entailed in wages, right? But then we read the text, and it's speaking about the wages of sin. And you don't want that like you want your paycheck, do you? None of us do. But it says the wages of sin is death. That which you have earned, that which is due you, that which is returned to you as a sinner is death. In other words, as we often say, that's what you got coming. Well, Romans 5.12 told us why we've all got that coming. We all sinned in Adam. We all fell in Adam. And we all deserve justly to die. It's not a pleasant thought, but it is a truthful thought and a factual thought and a very humbling thought, and it's meant to be so. Adam and Eve sinning ran and hid. That was their... Reaction. That's what sin does. It separates from God. That's what happened to them in the garden. That's why they got driven out of the garden. They were separated from God as we discussed this morning in Sunday school. Isaiah 59 and 2 says that. And we referenced verse 1 this morning. The Lord's hand is, you know, an arm is not shortened that it can and save. But your sins and iniquities have separated between you and your God. So Sin is the problem and death is the result of that. So the last thing I will say to you about the first part of the verse, the wages of sin is death, is you're getting exactly what you have due coming to you. And in other words, death has a legitimate claim upon all of us because all of us are sinners and have sinned against God. And that is the penalty. However, we have a but in our verse. And we like that, don't we? When we come to the scriptures and this is the way the gospel is presented. This is the gospel, verse 23. And the gospel has a very dark and unpleasant message at the start, doesn't it? The wages of sin is death. The gospel begins with sin. But it doesn't leave us there hopelessly without sin. But 
meaning in spite of that, or in view of that, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's hope in the last part. There's no hope in the first part. But there's hope in the last part. That's the gospel. The gospel presents hope where there is no hope. Life where there is no life. Light where there is only darkness. I want you as we begin the second part to notice the contrast. This is probably the most important part that I will say in the sermon today. And when I say contrast, literally in the first phrase of the verse and the second phrase of the verse. Notice how wages stand in contrast to the gift. The wages, the gift. Notice how of sin stands in contrast to of God. And notice how death is death stands in contrast to eternal life. Three total complete opposites in every case. Wages, we just described. Something that is deserved... The opposite of that is a gift. Gift is something that is given without any merit, without any deserve, that you don't have coming, that you haven't done anything for. If you've done the least little tiny bit of thing to deserve it, it's no longer a gift. You just erased it. And that's what Paul talked about, about grace and works. You cannot mix them. You cannot mix the least percent of either one with the other or they just... Salt and sweet, opposites. And one loses its distinction without the other. The gift... Undeserved, unmerited, not worthy, something given literally for nothing. What do we call that? Grace. The gift of grace. God giving. God is a God of grace. Anything unmerited is grace. It's a gracious act. When God gives, when you give, Without any attachments, that's grace. That's why we call it, well, that was a gracious act. That was a gracious word, a gracious this, a gracious that. Meaning you didn't deserve it, but you got it anyway. You didn't have to do it, but you did it. Well, we like to talk about grace here because we believe in the God of grace and in this book of grace and in the person of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Something given for nothing. And then we see, of course, in the second point, that God is the giver. God is the giver. Wow. We could talk forever and ever and ever and probably will through eternity about all that God has given. And we still won't get the subject covered because we're just not able to comprehend all that God has given. 
But what we do know from God's word that he has given is overwhelming. We mentioned it yesterday on purpose. Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Nobody outgives God. No gap, nobody can match. Sin demands death. God gives eternal life. You have earned death. You have not earned God's favor. Nobody has. We have to love the statement, knowing the meaning of it concerning Noah, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know what that's saying? He was just the object. So many people look at that and don't understand and think that God saw something in Noah. God didn't see nothing in Noah that was admirable above everybody else in the world at that time except that God had put it there. For there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God looked graciously and favorably upon that man in that regard. So God is the giver in the Bible. And God gave and has given the greatest thing that could ever be given, which again is incomprehensible to our minds, even we who believe that God gave His only begotten Son. can't grasp is how precious the Son was to the Father. Everything you have and that I have and that we have between ourselves is precious, but it is corrupted and tainted with sin. The relationship between the Father and the Son is the purest relationship there ever has been and ever will be. still tainted and, cra- and, and corrupted with sin. That is a pure relationship. And again, the capacity to love in us is thwarted and limited by sin, whereas in God it is unlimited and unrestricted. God can love eternally and everlastingly and undiminishingly. You can't do that. I can't do that. So whatever, however, you want to think and try to describe and and try to stretch the vocabulary to find words and find meaning to describe the relationship of the Trinity will come up short. And yet God gave. Christ didn't just say, Father, I'm going to go. I mean, he wasn't like the prodigal in Luke 15. He just made up his mind and then told the Father what he was going to do. No, the Bible says God gave. Like Abraham gave Isaac. (coughs) And we would also reflect that just as Isaac was a willing participant, not a rebellious one, so the father was submissive. 
No greater gift ever been given. How many times we're at in the Scriptures you can go to and put your finger on it. God gave His Son the greatest gift that could ever be given, ever has been given, and ever will be given. For who? For what? For sinners? For you? For me? For blasphemers? For murderers? For liars? For rebels? Uncomprehensible. But Jesus is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift through faith. And notice, in fact, let's just go back. Flip it back to Romans 5 one more time, shall we? I, I must emphasize this. I'll read it quickly. Beginning at verse 15, four verses here. You count them as we read. Gift shows up six times and has the adjective free with it as if it needed it. Okay? <laughs> I mean, a gift... If it is a gift, is always a free gift. Okay? I mean, if a gift is not a free gift, then you have tainted a gift. Something that you don't deserve, you didn't know was coming, you haven't worked for them, whatever. It indeed is a gift, but if I'm giving it to you with a motive of getting something back then it's not really a free gift, is it? It's really a gift, but I'm using it as a gift or a vehicle of deception or for gain. See what I mean? So you can corrupt a gift. I mean, that's who we are. We can't give like God does. Purely, 100%, genuinely. A lot of our giving is tainted. God Freely give. Okay, let's read this quickly. Verse 15, chapter 5. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. And the idea here, one man, one man. Adam, Christ. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, Adam, so is the gift, Jesus Christ. For the judgment was by one, Adam, the condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification by Christ Jesus. Yeah, I inserted that. For if by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned by one, Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, so by the righteous Adam earned death because he broke God's law. He had it coming. That's what he got in return for his transgression, and so have we all. So as we often say, we don't want to talk about what we deserve. No sinner wants what they deserve. What we want is what we don't deserve. God mercy from what we do deserve. So, we see then, in our text, that the gift is eternal life. And what a stark contrast that is to this horrible thing called death. It is the consequence and effect of sin. Do you know anything more opposite to death than life 
and life eternal. I mean, death is forever, isn't it? When something dies, it's dead. It, you know, people want to tickle their fancies and their emotions with reincarnation, but that's just a fantasy to appease yourself. There's no proof. It's never happened. But you know what? We've got proof about life after death. We've got it from normal individuals who were raised from the dead. And the greatest example, of course, is the one who said, I'll lay down my life and I'll take it right back up. I've got that kind of power. And he did so. And the Bible in history records that. And there's lots of proof. So eternal life is God's gift. And it is supremely in contrast to death. Now again, if you have the gift of eternal life and you know that, then what is death to you? I mean, you, you see, by the grace of God in the last part of the verse. So if you're a sinner and you're lost, you've only got the first part of that verse to look at. Yeah, you are in deep woe. But if you believe upon God's gift and that in His death and His shed blood is the remission of sin and you have the gift of eternal life, those other things just come absurd. atonement is. No matter how great or how many the sin, the atonement is enough to cover it. You ever, you ever slept on a, on a bed or, or in a bed that was too short or, or that had covers too short and your feet stick out and you know you couldn't stay covered? You know, some of these little fleece comforter things that, you know, you know, y'all women wrap up in and things like that. They're inadequate to put on a bed for cover because you're going to stick out somewhere. They're little. They're for kids or something. You know? It doesn't adequately cover. Well, you know, that's a problem with a lot of people's salvation. Their works is not enough to cover their sins. But the blood of Christ is plenty adequate. The fig leaves of Adam and Eve's invention were inadequate the animal skins that God provided at the expense of death and blood was adequate. That's what atonement means. Now this only comes as stated, the prepositional phrase, the end of the verse, through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. There is no eternal life outside of Christ. That's it. This gift does not exist outside of Jesus Christ. It does not say through your works. The gift of God is eternal life through your church attendance. The gift of God is through your tithes and offerings, through your faithfulness, through, this, through that, through rites and ceremonies, praying this many times. It's not there. It's of grace. Therefore, it is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I would also say, it. I don't see Mary's name there. I don't see Buddha there. 
I don't see Muhammad there. I don't see anybody there but the only begotten Son of God. That's it. There's no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And the gift of eternal life is bestowed upon nobody except through the merit of Jesus. this this morning did he die yes he died but what did he say before he died I'm going to die I, I again I say this every time I can't help it I think a pilot you know what I say about pilot he's like a little banny rooster That I have power to kill you, condemn you, or to set you free. Boy, he's feeling his oats. It's not funny. It's sad. And Jesus says, you wouldn't have no power at all if it hadn't been given to you. You know? To remind us of this. You know, who are you looking for? Jesus didn't try to hide. He said, who are you looking for? They said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, I'm he, and it knocked them backwards. They couldn't have took him with all of Jerusalem if he didn't want to go. And like he said before, couldn't I call 12 legions of angels as if I needed them? I mean, his own words knocked them back. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? No, I'm going to this thing called death. And I'm going to conquer it. Go ahead. Three days, three nights. I'll be back. And he was. They applied it to the temple. He's talking about his body. Again, those words are so comforting and assuring. They should be to me and you. And I lay down. And I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it back. No, nobody's taking it from me. Buried, just like every, I say not every, you can't say that anymore. It's the normal way of being buried. It's put in a tomb. The common way, the biblical way. And yet in three days, he came out of there. And he wasn't running around in the grave clothes, was he? As if he escaped. No, it's very important. I don't have time to develop this, but you think about it and think about it later. When they came to the tomb, there was the grave clothes all neatly folded and laying there. You know, he didn't.
took death from the devil when he came out of the tomb. He said, no, you, you're not going to run around with that anymore. That's mine now. I'm just using that as an illustration. I'm not trying to be theologically cross the T's dot that. Now, the fact that we have the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is not going to keep us from dying, is it? No believers die. We was talking the other day. It's, it's not an unpleasant thing to go to or even to conduct the funeral of a believer. wanting to hold on and yet as Christians we know they're better off than I am they're better off than I am that's why Solomon said the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth and an expectation and an anticipation that I can't wait, and that's to get rid of this body. Get rid of me. And when we die, we're going to be done with ourselves. And we're going to be occupied with Him. And if Christ comes today, and our bodies are glorified, then we have put off the old man finally and once and for all, and buddy, that's what I can't wait for. I will be happy to be rid of me. Because I'm most of my problems. I'm about all problems. sting out of it and it is the means by which we inherit eternal life scripture says the most important thing about death is be prepared before it happens today if you will hear his voice if you're not prepared for death today And if you would like to have that hope, you can because Jesus says, come, come.
come. Come to me. Believe upon me. Repent of your sins and I will give you eternal life. He's the only one that can do that. Don't trust in anything or anybody else. This church can't do that. I can't do that. Nothing you do can do that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's the end of it. God bless you to your hearing.